0: when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John o. White. Or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay. Let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is April Beach. April is a founder, CEO, and adventurer. Uh, She heads up and founded the Sweet Life Company and podcast, and she's based in, as she was telling me before we started recording, uh, the beautiful cold on the other side of the world right now, Colorado, um, compared to me where I'm in the warm Brisbane. But I do have a little bit of envy because I know Colorado is super beautiful. Uh, So welcome, April.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you are warm because I'm warm today, but yes, uh, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll be that. frozen tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, so if only it was possible, maybe down the track, we can do some sort of teleportation day exchange where you can, because I, I have to admit, it's uh, it's pretty hot over here. It's beautiful, but it's also, I do, uh, you know, particularly Christmas here. Christmas is very hot in Australia, which a lot of people around the world find you know, they scratch their heads and can't even imagine that. And so particularly at Christmas time, watching all the white Christmas and cold Christmas movies, I get a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of envy for the sort of place where you're based.
1: (laughs) I can't even imagine being in a hot place for Christmas, actually. But yes, so that's the best part of Colorado is, is Christmas time, uh, uh, for sure. So <laughs>
0: it's on the it's on the bucket list uh, to to have a uh, a white Christmas, cold Christmas. I wasn't thinking Colorado; we were thinking New York. But maybe we need to throw Colorado in there. That's a good uh, good advertisement.
1: <laughs> it 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 really is. It's a beautiful place to be with not very many people, so it's perfect.
0: Well, I know all the all of our listeners are um, passionate weather fans, but uh, you know, probably more about leadership. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> let's find out a little bit about you. Can you tell everyone a bit about what you do, April?
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to our conversation today. Um, Juno, thanks so much for having me on your show. Um, I am an entrepreneur coach, which sounds very broad. So let me kind of fine tune that a little bit. I work with thought leaders and experts and niche experts and service providers and coaches and consultants to extract their genius because oftentimes with entrepreneurs, they have an idea of what they want to do and they may be able to pull out a couple of different pieces of that, but They're inside their own bottle of their brain. And so I work with entrepreneurs to extract their genius, their zone of genius, and help them to build it out and turn their thoughts into reality for their people. And um, that's what I've done my whole life, which I'm sure we will get into. Um, But the process is I I work with entrepreneurs to develop industry-leading programs and services so that they can give a transformation to their people.
0: Amazing. And I know there'll be a bunch of entrepreneurs who just uh, I love always imagining listeners. I know if you're the same uh, with your podcast, but I love imagining listeners where they are, what they're doing right now. And there'll be some entrepreneur who's just come out of a difficult week or difficult day and is going, "Hmm, April, I wonder if uh, April could be the person to help me. So we will find out a bit later on how people can get in contact (laughs) with you if that's them. Uh, But uh, first of all, it'd be great to hear some of your story, starting with you know say your earlier years so when you were growing up when you when you were young looking back are there any moments then that that you think yeah that was a moment where that really shaped me becoming the person that I am today
1: oh yes um, my entire childhood shaped who I am today so And I, I have that, I had that pivotal moment at the age of 14, which I'll share with you here in just a bit, but going back a little bit further, I was raised in the first wave of true lifestyle entrepreneurs. I was very, very lucky. So my parents, in order to have the lifestyle that we wanted, so my dad was a surfer and a beach volleyball player. And so when he wanted to play more beach volleyball, we opened up a beach volleyball retail store in Santa Barbara, California. When we wanted to surf more, we opened up surf shops in California and Hawaii. When we wanted to travel and surf more, we (laughs) started a surf team so we could travel and surf more and, and write everything off, you know? Um, so I learned from a very, very young age how to always engineer first the lifestyle that we wanted. And then the business and the company was always second. So I, I was very, very lucky in that experience. And so I, I had an amazing childhood growing up, um, you know, traveling everywhere, bouncing around. And I still remember feeling feeling sorry for all the other kids in school because it would just be a, a great beach day and here's my mom pulling up outside the elementary school with the the top off of the jeep pulling my sister and i out of the school because the waves were up right and i was like my mom was the only one being like you should not be sitting in a classroom right now it's probably all the educators who listen to your podcast are probably horrified <laughs> but <laughs> That's but so you know that uh, that's how i grew up and i learned to work very very hard to play very very hard and actually play always came before work and it still does so that was that was the beginning of my introduction into the world. That's all I knew was mm. to have this time, um, freedom and to see my parents literally create and turn their thoughts into reality to be able to get what they wanted. But, and it was, it was literally glorious. I was so grateful and I knew how good I had it even in a young age, <laughs> but what happened was mm. uh, my mom decided she wanted a different life. And, um, for, through a series of literally overnight events. I went from having this most perfect family in the whole entire world to having nothing. And I ended up moving out on my own at the age of 13. And I remember sitting there in my little studio apartment in this little town in central California, San Luis Obispo, where I grew up. Mm. And I was sitting in there, this little studio apartment right next to a gas station. And I didn't know how to cook anything, and I'd go to the gas station to get my like microwave noodles, and I'd i microwave over to, <laughs> microwave my noodles for dinner, and uh, and I remember coming back, and it was Christmas Eve, and I had this little plastic. We were talking about Christmas; so it was kind of funny. I had this little plastic Christmas tree, mm. and I was sitting on this window ledge looking out. You know, it's California; it's not too cold, and this this bench seat, just looking out with these two huge windows that opened up. It was the only window I had in my whole little studio apartment and looking up and realizing that my whole entire life had been taken away from me. And although I had learned a million wonderful lessons, I didn't know yet at the age of 14 that those were lessons that I would build my whole entire life and career on. But I remember thinking at that time that I would never, ever let anybody else take my life and my lifestyle away from me. That was the first thing that I was just super determined. And then the second, and then the second thing was Mm. that I knew I would never fit in with what would be the stereotypical nine to five. I knew I would never do that. I never wanted to do that. I knew I wanted to recreate the life that I had had um, for myself. And so I set out at age 14 to start doing that. And (laughs) so, yes. And so I, um, there's obviously some gaps between here and there, but my (laughs) childhood was everything in my experience Mm. that I bring to the table today still includes lessons that I learned from building businesses with my parents at like age seven.
0: That is, uh, an incredible story. And, um, I can't even begin to imagine what it must've been like at 13 to, to move out of home, have this lifestyle that you described be taken away from you and, and, and family as well. And I I can't even fathom that. That's how did you get through the next few years?
1: Yeah. So I partied a lot, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, keeping it real here on your show. Um, Yeah. You know, just, I, I partied a lot. Um, I graduated high school. Thank heavens. I don't know the grace of God that I graduated high school because I was really never there. Um, and um, it was, it was really interesting. I continued some of the work I was doing before. So this was like the late 80s, early 90s, when we were starting to work on early website development. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I was playing around in that a little bit still, and just kind of diving in and getting my hands in whatever I could of creating this and creating that. And, you know, I had my stint of working in restaurants, of course, to to make money and um, graduated high school and left for Costa Rica with my backpack and a surfboard at the age of 18. As soon as I actually ended up graduating high school early and doing advanced credits to get out of there early. Cause I didn't really fit in that high school scene. You know, most people are going to prom and having curfews and I had an apartment and had to go grocery shopping. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get out of there as quickly as possible. Um, and, uh, took off to Costa Rica for a while and, and started meeting people and, Realizing that I could help them. And it was very strange feeling these small businesses down there from, you know, little laundromats to, mm. um, you know, little businesses down there just kind of giving my two cents and I started realizing that I did have valuable business experience. Um, it was very um, n- non-traditional, you know, obviously not not an MBA. And um, by the time I was 20, I got my first big girl business consulting job. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> no out. clue. Um, and I was hired. I was back in the United States, and I was yeah. living in It was living in Florida at the time, and I was hired by a national chiropractic organization. I must have been asking the right questions. I went in there to apply for a job as a front desk person and their CEO happened to be in there. And I was asking questions, which probably anybody else who was there thought I was just crazy because they probably had nothing to do with their business model whatsoever. And this CEO heard it. He's like, wow, these are really interesting questions. They ended up hiring me to develop uh, one of the first um, integrated business model system. So where we brought together chiropractors and massage therapists and acupuncturists. And, uh, you know, I, I had wow. about seven different businesses underneath me <laughs> working with these offices at 20, um, helping them to integrate their services. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> and that's how it started officially.
0: That is um, yeah. That, so at 20, you were 20 when you got that role. <laughs>
1: I, I wasn't even old enough to drink here in the United States. I couldn't buy a beer, but but I yeah. could I could help I could help companies develop new business models that would make them millions.
0: <laughs> I love um, I love hearing different uh, stories. You, your story reminds me of um, of another person I had on the podcast who shared a similar opportunity where it was you know a, a general manager at twenty before she could drink and uh, and it was just funny uh, you know the different the different ways and and other people who get to sort of 40 and then realize, wait, why am I doing this? I've got this gift. And, and it's, it's just the pathway is always interesting. I want to ask you about when you were young, you know, those, those early years building businesses with your parents, that's, that's such a different uh, lifestyle. Like you explained, what, what were the biggest lessons you learned from those early, early years of your life?
1: Mm. Well, I learned great things, obviously, but then I learned some things that as a business owner and as a business leader, I'm like, that was pretty bad that we did those things. So one of the bad things I remember is before we ever opened the surf shops and in the volleyball stores, uh, my parents built oak Beach chairs, of course, you know, because we want to sell beach chairs on the beach. <laughs> and we traveled around California, um, going to arts and craft shows. And so we would take our, we would take our crafts, we would take our oak furniture, and we would drive all the way up and down California on the weekends, and we would sell our furniture at these arts and craft shows. And so I was immersed in this culture of these most creative entrepreneurs ever, from glass blowers to, you know, who knows what, um, and uh, ring makers, and it was really. Really, really cool but i remember one time we were driving from central california up to lake tahoe which is a really far drive for any of your listeners who are who are i um, familiar with how long geographically california is as a state it was about a six seven hour drive one way and i remember hearing my mom say um, if we don't sell at least whatever number of beach chairs we're not going to have the gas to get home and I remember thinking to myself, wow, okay. We're just, we're going for it, right? Like, yeah. here we go, you know, but there <laughs> was also, so as a, as a leader, as a business owner, I'm saying that was crazy, you know, to take your kids to do this um, and, to, and to really bring it down to having nothing. I mean, there were times we had like no money in the bank at all. And we would trade things with, with other craftsmen around there and that would be our lunch. And, um, but then the other side of me, the, the part that actually really sticks with me is there was no doubt in my parents' mind that they were going to sell the, what we needed to do. Failure was never, ever an option. It was just, we might need to edit how we go about doing it, but we are actually for sure going to nail our objective in this yeah. state, you know? So that was cool. I remember Mm. that. And I I see it from both sides. I'm like, that is terrifying. I mean, (laughs) I'm a mom. I have three kids. So that is totally terrifying. (laughs) Um, But then I'm like, awesome. That was rad. You know? So I see that. I see that from both ways. So I I learned a lot of lessons. I also learned that Mm. the customers really are king. And when you have, so with surf shops, what's really interesting, especially in California and, and maybe it's that, I'm sure it's that probably that way down there for tourist areas down in Australia as well is it's seasonal. And so when they're there when they are in the store um, providing the most amazing experience to them is the most important thing and they're going to come back and they're going to remember that this is where they bought this thing or this, this is where they rented their surfboards and my job was to work at the rental counter fitting tourists into wetsuits and fitting them with surfboards and bodyboards. Oh wow. Which was Not a very glorious job um, because it's really hard to fit people into wetsuits when they've never put a wetsuit on before. But I remember it and just trying to keep them so happy. And I remember how important it was to have those families that sometimes these families would come to the beach and they were like us when we were going to arts and craft shows it's you know this was like they put all their eggs in this basket this is their one vacation and it was my job to make sure it was the best time of their entire life and i remember realizing how important that was as a business owner that providing the experience to our clients and to our customers was just as important as is you know ringing the cash register if not more
0: Yeah, that's a great lesson. Uh, You really did learn some amazing entrepreneurship lessons. I I love the first story you told as well about that no plan B, literally no plan B. It's like we don't get home unless we, you know. uh, But um, uh, I don't know about you, but I've certainly found being an entrepreneur, you sometimes people describe to me or people ask me or say, how do you, how do you do it? Or it's so amazing that you run your own business. And and I think in my head, um, no, well, it's, it's, it's not this sort of, and sometimes they sort of ask, well, how do you like, almost a question about planning or having backups. And um, I'm interested in your thoughts on this going from growing up with that to now, you know, uh, working with and coaching entrepreneurs. Um, But there's always part of me that's like, there was never another option. I just feel like um, what I do is an extension of me almost. I I don't know if that's just me or if if lots of entrepreneurs uh, have that same sense. What about you?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, There there is no plan B because there doesn't need to be one. Um, it's always plan A with about a million pivots is <laughs> usually what it comes down to. Um, my yes. business is, you know, my, my business is absolutely an extension of who I am. What makes it so special to me is that it is me. It is um, the embodiment of um, my lessons and my failures and my expertise all in one, and so it is. Um, and uh, you know, not to get in the conversation of work-life balance, but it is absolutely 100% me. And if I wasn't doing it, or if I wasn't doing something that I loved, I really would just rather not be alive. That's how serious I am about that. Mm. And so, therefore, and I obviously I, I love life, you know. <laughs> um, and so there, there's no. I am very certain for me, that there is nothing else on earth I should be doing than the things I have already done. And I'm looking for where I'm guided to do that original project next. I have zero desire to fit into anybody else's um, Mm -hmm. blueprint. I, I, I engineer my own business blueprint and it is an extension of who I am for sure, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And it reminds me of, uh, this might seem like a bit of a tangent, but I I believe what you've just explained is really crucial to this. I love Patrick Lencioni's, uh, the table group's working genius assessment, and I'll I'll link it in a second to what you just said. But um, the working genius talks about how we get work done. And there's six different geniuses. And, uh, I'm going to give a really bad sort of, you know, people who are interested, there's whole podcasts about it that the table group do. It's fantastic. But the one thing I want to pinpoint that, uh, is that they talk about being in your, in your working genius, in your working competency and in your working frustration. And I've shared this on the podcast before the analogy, which I I love is your working genius is like a coffee cup. It's like a keep cup that you fill up with beautiful boiling hot like a great coffee and you put the lid on and not only is it hot but it stays hot and when we're in our working genius it's it's like not only not only are we in the zone but we can when we're doing that type of work we're staying in the zone the second working competency is like you take the lid off so it's like it starts hot but oh it becomes a slog if you spend too much time there eventually it cools down and becomes gross and the third is this idea of working frustration when i'm in that zone when i'm doing work in that zone or the type of work, then it's like someone poked a hole, drilled a hole in the bottom of my keep cup. And you can pour as much coffee as you want in there, but it is just pouring out the bottom. And and the reason I mention this is they talk about an aha moment they had creating the assessment going, what if burnout, what if work-life balance that we're always talking about, what if it's less about the quantity of work and more about the quality of work? What if it's less about how much people are doing, you know, we're saying pour less in the cup, you know, be careful. But what if, what if it's actually about working out whether what we're doing is, is, is keeping the lid on hot, or if it's at the other end of the scale and drilling a hole in the bottom. And if I'm spending 20 hours a week doing stuff, that's got a hole in the bottom, just pouring out, I'm going to be depleted uh, and, and I'm going to likely burn out. But if I can be in the zone where it's lid on hot, that's how people can do what others look at and go, wow, that must be, how do you balance your life? And people go, well, I don't, it's integrated. I just love what I'm doing. It's because the, it's the lid on working genius. And, and so I just mentioned that because you just, what you explained just there sounded to me like someone who's doing what you do day in day out is lid on hot coffee stays hot sort of work for you. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely right. And this is so cool. I'm going to check this out. This, I have never heard of this before, so I'm certainly going to check that out. So thank it's you only so new, for that it's research. about
0: 18 months old as of right now, super which, cool. which is very cool as well. And the story behind it, sorry, I get super excited about Yeah,
1: tell stuff. me. Yeah.
0: The coolest thing about the story behind it. And I love the table group and Patrick Lencioni for this reason, they're very unpretentious. And the way they discovered the working genius is he was hating his work and he, he works with leaders, right? He's like, ultimate should have his you know uh, should have everything together and yet for 20 years he finally turns to his co-founder and he's like why is it because he went and started something new again and she turned to him and said what are you doing why do you do this like uh, and so they had this big frustration and he was like I have to do this I love this but there's other parts of my job that you know, if I'm honest, I still really hate. And they went to a whiteboard as like their core sort of team. And they work with leaders day in, day out, doing sort of creating, um, you know, different ideas and assessments. And they had a brainstorming session about why is it that we've been doing this for so long and yet we still hate some of the things we do. And it was out of that question that they really articulated this idea of the working genius and going, well, maybe, maybe this is a better model to understand why some of us, um, love doing, you know, are really in the zone doing this sort of work when that exact sort of work for someone else is completely emptying to them and frustrates them. And then, so that's, that's one of the things I love about it. It's very organic and they tell that story. Pat tells that story about it. And it's, um, for that reason, I think it's hundreds of thousands of people around the world now who've done it, but it's only very new. It's only 18 months old and it's, um, yeah. Definitely worth checking out. There's actually a podcast called the working genius podcast that they do just on the working genius. Um, that's a good place to, to start uh, as well. Yeah. It's very cool.
1: will totally check that out. Yeah. i have my notes right here, right. Sitting here next to me. Um, it, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds really right on for sure. And, and I love what, I love what you're saying about that as well. I mean, do you feel like you're this way too in the creations that you're doing?
0: Yeah, I do. And that's why, that's why I love it so much is, and it sounds lame, but with what I do now with clarity, I feel like I say to people, if people ask me describe how much you enjoy what you currently do, I would say it's so cliched, but honestly, um, if you, if you find work that you love, then you never work a day in your life. I definitely feel like that. Like it's, it's, and and it's not that it's like there are times that are hard, and there are always elements of what you do that are that you'd rather not do. Like it's not like you can. It's you don't want to be utopian about it. But I definitely um, have found that I don't have to focus on work life balance um, like I did in previous uh, roles, where I just found that a lot of the work I was doing in hindsight, I think, was that hole in the bottom of the copy uh, of the coffee cup. And I look back and I go, I think one of the reasons I. I found what I was doing then so overwhelming and frustrating was not the quantity, but it was the type of work I was doing. Whereas now I definitely feel like a majority of the work I'm doing like this podcast, as an example is for me, it's lit on coffee, hot fills me up.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's so good. That's so great. Perfect. I love hearing that. And that's exactly how I feel as well.
0: You work with lots of entrepreneurs. There'd be people out there feeling their shoulders are a bit, sunk. They're, they know they're an entrepreneur. There's something in them. They're listening to this and they're going, yes, I'm with you, but what to do, maybe they haven't found that yet or how to make it successful. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs out there who, who want to find their hot coffee cup lid on? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, that's, that's a really tough question because it's not, they're probably not going to find it on the first time. And I'm just being really honest. So usually people Mm -hmm. who are true entrepreneurs, um, we will create something. Remember, it's always plan A with a bunch of pivots, right? We'll create something and we'll try something. And then in the process, we learn something more about ourselves, whether it's the process of uh, working with a few clients or developing a few different products. And we realize what we like and what we don't like exactly, you know, what you were just referring to a little bit. Um, so the first thing is to understand that this is a windy road in the journey that there isn't anybody that I honestly know that started out immediately saying, this is what I'm going to do, and they never changed or they never grew. And so I think the first thing is understanding, you know, what is the very first thing I can do to make an impact and make a name for myself in this space? What assets do I currently have? What experience do I currently have? What stories do I currently have? What and what am I passionate about? And you are totally right on. I seriously, yeah, we have long days for sure. And work, but I don't feel like I work a day in my life. I, I, it's a Sunday afternoon here in Colorado, and I couldn't be happier than being chatting with you on this podcast, right? This isn't work. This is hanging out with cool people. Right. (laughs) And so, and so it, it, it's, it, that's exactly it. So for new entrepreneurs, like, well, they're listening to us talk, and they want to be in this place where they can choose their time. See, here's the thing. What we want as an entrepreneur, I would say the entrepreneurs that work with me, isn't all the money in the world. Although that's a wonderful thing if that happens to be the outcome. We want to control our time. We Mm. want to control what we're working on. So we want to control our contribution to the world, whether that world is the 10 people in the radius of your block that you live or thousands of people in your organization, whatever it may be, that's, we want to feel as though we are contributing. And so when we start out, the work that we're doing is we want to find work that helps you feel like you are contributing to the greater good of something else. It really does need to be about you for sure, but then it needs to be bigger than you also. And those are the first decisions for entrepreneurs of looking around saying, what are my assets, which is what are my skills do I have? What can I bring maybe from a corporate job that I have done there that I could turn into a consulting practice or what product can I engineer because of my experience being whatever this type of athlete?" or this type of craft person, you know, whatever that, whatever that happens to be. And and why do I get super excited about that? And just finding what in the business world, we call it a minimum viable product, which I really think that actually that definition sucks because that makes it seem (laughs) like it's this little teeny thing that you're doing. It's not at all. You know, it's a huge thing. It's Finding the first thing that you can do to create positive change and transformation for others. And it's not all the things, it's the first thing. So when I when I talk to new entrepreneurs and most people, honestly, by the time they get to me to work with us, they have an idea of what they want to do. They just can't yes. extract it from their brain. But for those early people that are that are still in the process of trying to escape the box that the world has built around them, and they want that time freedom, they want that location freedom, they want to spend time with people that, that, are, that they value and that mm. they can bring value to, um, the very first thing is just looking at your assets and looking at what method or process or framework can you develop for somebody else around that to become your quote unquote, minimum viable product. And again, it's so much more than that. That's the word we use in the business world is is that minimum viable product. But what I think it is is what is the first piece of intellectual property that we can engineer that you can think about and pull out of your brain, whether it's your, your process that you've brought from something else and Mm. you're putting your secret sauce on it, or it's your content for writers and speakers and we're. we're we're packaging that up. But really the question is, is that it's not trying to do all the things at once. It's just trying to make that first impact, that first transformation. And so don't call it minimum viable, call it (laughs) your first delivery, the first transformation that you can deliver to somebody. That's just what I would like (laughs) people to think about it.
0: How can you deliver your first transformation? That's way, uh, that's way a way better name than Minimum, minimum Viable Product. I love uh, what Russell Brunson, I don't know if you've come across Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels, um, but I, I really love his work for entrepreneurs and marketers. And he talks about when you start out, looking back at yourself and one of the easiest first, uh, one of the easiest ways to come up with your first you know, transformation to help others is actually to look at yourself in the past and there's usually something you've done or learned that um, that, and if you're that real entrepreneur, you can look back and say, okay, what, what was it that I learned to help me get from, you know, Jono then 10 years ago to Jono now? And, and as an example for me, my big aha moment uh, was learning about, okay, well, as a leader, you need to build a team what? I can't just be really good at what I do and people will follow me. And so for me, that's where I started. I went, well, I'm so passionate and that was my big aha moment. It was how do you build a team? How do you build a healthy organization? So I, I didn't think like this at the time, but now I realize if I look back and gone, okay, what was mo- like, what what did Jono back then need and, and what was the breakthrough? And there's often something in that I think that can be a helpful, um, a helpful point. And then actually, too, uh, the other thing that I love that they talk about in ClickFunnels world with Russell Brunson is this idea of a uh, a framework and and going, you know what, people underestimate. I love this John Maxwell quote where he talks about when you're starting out, people underestimate. When you're starting out, your first, really, let's be honest, your first years, people will underestimate what you can do. And then, you know what happens after a decade, after two decades, when you, when you become a an overnight success as everyone's you know says it's 20 years in the making then what do people do they overestimate that now they think everything you touch turns to gold and it's like um and so realizing when you're starting out uh you know just like someone like john maxwell who's an amazing he's way down the track and he now recognizes you know if i'm honest people probably overestimate how good i am at things because I've had uh, so much success. But when you're starting out, people will underestimate and and we can underestimate ourselves. And I, I would just encourage people to just create a framework. You know, what's the thing that you a few years back had a big aha around? For me, it's been how to build teams, how to grow organizations. And I've learned heaps from other people and I'll always credit them. And then I've also learned some things myself that I apply and uh, and and have my own frameworks. And just start with your own framework. Uh, even even if you're crediting a lot of it to others and there's just a couple of pieces that are yours credit it to others create your own framework and and don't underestimate yourself everyone else will but don't underestimate yourself and put it out there and you never know how that how that framework the, your first transformation I love that um putting it out there to say okay so once again to give an example for me I guess it would have been okay my first transformation would have been to go okay here's Jono's framework based on some things I've learned from Patrick Lencioni and Jim Collins and his books good to great and also a bit of Jono's stuff about how do you how do you build a team as a first-time leader boom there's there's my first framework step one step two step three step four and um I feel like that steps way harder than it sounds, but that's, that's a crucial starting point. And, and, and it sounds to me like people come to you when they maybe have already articulated some of that and they're, and, and now they need help to actually scale it.
1: Okay. I'm so glad you brought this up. So actually my area of expertise is extracting their genius and building their signature method and framework. That's always the first thing that I do with my clients. Yes. So is it okay if I just jump on what you already said for your listeners so they can just take this and just run with it? Okay, you guys. So I want... Exactly. Exactly. What John just said is, is developing your first signature method or framework, and that delivers a predictable transformation. So it always starts with that. Now, one of the things I want to share is there is a difference between a method and a framework. And most people get stuck in their head and they hear what's a framework and what's a method, but I just want to share this with your listeners. So you guys don't get stuck on it. First of all, yeah. it doesn't matter if you have a method or a framework. Um, one is usually a certain order of operations, whereas a framework framework could be something where people can loosely flow through the pillars you've set up in, in their own way, and their own flow. That's the only difference is really one is a start to finish process. One is, one is a still a structure and a blueprint, um, where you bring people through the process, but they can go, you know, from step one to step three to step seven, and they still get the same outcome. So if I can just encourage your listeners to do anything, we can't build any business until we have your signature method and framework. If you, it's really cool and I love teaching this. So if you think of your signature method or framework, like the sun in the middle of your solar system, and that is the very first thing that you engineer and that you determine and you extract from your beautiful experience and your brain, even if like Chana was saying, even if parts of that framework are pulled from something else, it doesn't have to be all from scratch. (laughs) And then if that is the sun in the middle of that solar system, Mm. then we pull off of that that. And then we create your signature programs that bring that to life. We create your content and your marketing campaigns that are discussing the pieces of your framework. We create your signature talk so that you can speak about your framework. We create your book. We create your other offers that lead into your primary signature program that might just be small pieces of your framework. So the framework, the signature framework and the signature method, and most people end up having. Methods inside frameworks and frameworks inside methods. Just don't get hung up on that. Seriously, take a napkin and just jump out of your brain. What is the order of operations or some things that you did and yeah. look at it. And that is the beginning of how we build every single business, every single thought leader. Whether and just to encourage people, it's not just for beginning entrepreneurs. I mean, a lot of companies that work with mm-hmm. us, a lot of entrepreneurs that um, work with us have have been in business for well over a decade, and they're developing their next level framework. And so that's totally fine. We're always developing new frameworks for, to help deliver a transformation to people. So this is a process that you'll go through again and again, and again, and the faster you get good at it, the faster you'll, <laughs> you'll get results in your business. So I love that you went there because that is everything that
0: I talk about. <laughs> that's amazing, April. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you you just made a great point as well, which which is this isn't just for those listening who go, "I'm an entrepreneur or I'm ready to try something on a side hustle or I'm ready to create as an entrepreneur. It's a hundred percent for businesses small and large. and um and you mentioned marketing. and I think, This idea is so great. Let me give you an example. I'll give listeners an example of the the sort of organisation that would not normally think like this. Uh, And we do have a lot of um, educational leaders who will be listening in. And schools. Schools is a great example where you, you differentiate yourself so much as a school by unpacking this. So if you're a head of school, think about what your school, how your school does education and, and the point of difference. And if you can extract the, the way that's unique about your school. So as an example, um, you know, I know there are schools, which for them, they're always getting compared on academic results. And yes, that is a factor, but you ask anyone, you do the market research and, and and everyone who goes there raves about the community and the belonging of the kids. So As an example, there's a simple way for a school to say, okay, well, what is our method? What's our framework for helping students belong? You turn that into a framework, a method, a PDF, everything April just said, suddenly get marketing yourself by trying to work out what you're going to put on that billboard suddenly you have something which anyone in your catchment or or beyond if you're an online school anyone can actually download and learn and a parent who's currently weighing up academic versus academic but is unsettled comes across your video your talk your pdf on this framework about children belonging They watch it, they read it and they go, that's the school for my child. And that's the power of extracting a framework is that it, we talk about differentiation and a lot of things don't, I'm sorry, but they just don't work. But what you're talking about, April, is I think it's probably the key to differentiate yourself in 2022 is to take, because it's it's one thing to have that unique thing, but how do you translate it? And that's what you just unpacked.
1: Oh, you are so right on. And, um, and I'm glad that you reminded me that a lot of educators listen to this. So on that note, we, we work with clients in three different levels, but the, the third level we work with clients is called Amplify. And that's where we work with entrepreneurs that have these frameworks already. They have the content in place and we actually help them license their content to organizations and the number one licensee for my clients are educational organizations. I have clients um, who have their have their frameworks and have their content and their materials that are licensed in universities, licensed by. Um, A few of California's largest school districts for the exact reason why. So even if you don't have your own framework, if you want to differentiate yourself and you really want to lead, um, then there are also opportunities, which is really cool how this conversation has led out. So for both the educational institutions, but also the entrepreneurs who are listening, maybe you're not in an educational institution, but you have a framework that could be very beneficial to be implemented in an Mm. educational institution. And, um, this happens, these are conversations I'm having four days a week on these things. So it's that's exactly right. And in what you said in any industry, because yeah. you know corporations are, are licensing this too, if you want to lead, And that's what your podcast is about, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to lead, then you need to be able to deliver a predictable transformational result. You need to be different and you need to provide an outcome that is very clear for people to understand even before they start working with you or even before they, they flow into your ecosystem. And we do that a hundred percent by frameworks, by differentiating ourselves, And it will be the way that businesses fly moving forward. And it's, you know, we don't ever want to be disruptive for the sake of actually being disruptive. We want to do things different because they need to be done differently for a certain reason, according to a certain institution or a company or an entrepreneur. And so very cool conversation. Love that you said that.
0: Yeah, I am enjoying chatting about this so much, and and this is why I love the podcast because we end up in in uh, in places I didn't expect, but it's so helpful. And uh, one of the I, I just I love this idea so much, and the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I I'm I, my background before you know stepping into leadership was really around business development and marketing, and so I come at things often thinking in that lens and. The power of the framework, I, I want to give another example because you know there's always people listening going, yeah, that sounds great, April, Jono, but I'm in a such and such business and it won't work. Um, and so I work with some of the best uh, Cafe is one of the. I would say they they roast some of the best coffee in the world. They're here in Brisbane. Uh, a group called Black Star and just um, just an incredible group of cafes. Wonderful organisation. Any Brisbane listeners or anyone who travels to Brisbane, go to Black Star um, Black Star Coffee. They're fantastic. And I work with the owner, who's an amazing guy. Anyway, we were chatting about frameworks, and I just want to give this as another example for those out there who might be in a retail because if you're in retail and your local business, you hear these sort of things corporations, large entrepreneurs online. And you think, nah, that wouldn't work for me. But the, the beauty of the, fr- of the framework from a marketing and business development is you hit, you can hit the marketing lead generation, uh, which we all need more leads. If you're, <laughs> uh, if you're out there and you've got too many leads, then uh, you know, bless you, you're, you're unique, but most of us need more leads. And then you've got the high end, right? It's like, how do I take the everyday so for a cafe? How do I take someone who just buys my coffee? And how do I take them up the value ladder? And so the reason a framework is so powerful and the reason people should go and talk to April and get her advice. And this wasn't set up as a uh, as an advertisement, but I just, I get so passionate about this. I like directing people to my guests. Um, so <laughs> if you're a cafe, yeah. so take a cafe as an example. You can take the way that you make coffee, which is the expertise they have, right? normally who who gets impacted by that it's people within let's be honest a couple of kilometers it's very a very small radius and say and this is what i've been working with them on say you can take this knowledge you have which is how do you how do you roast how do you make like what's the difference between bad coffee what's the difference between good coffee now here's the thing what's the difference between great coffee and like blowing your mind coffee that's that there are people who will fit all along that spectrum. If you can take your expertise in that area, suddenly who's their target market, right? Their coffee uh, roastery, coffee drinkers. If you can turn this into some sort of, let's start with a PDF course video series. Initially it's your lead gen tool because it becomes for your local target market. So for those out there in retail, if you can take your expertise and then maybe you just market yourself online to within 10 kilometers of yourself, uh, to your target market through facebook or whatever and you're advertising this give me my give me your email address and you get this how to you know make coffee and you just focus on your target market maybe you only need 500 on your list and that's going to be significant but this is where it becomes a game changer it's very different to other tactics which i've tried everything and that's why i get so passionate about this because it really works that same framework you take it to another level. You, you, you don't need professional videography, but you just invest the time. um, You have the context and you make a course on making exceptional coffee at home. Okay. All of a sudden you might be a local retailer. What have you now done that course? You can actually potentially monetize that. And if you're a local retailer who's looking for opportunities to expand your business, but to stay in your niche, um, or niche, as you say, over over overseas, <laughs> then what you can actually do is create a an online course that's high quality, sell it at a high ticket level, $997 for a six-week course with a coffee roastery experts on how to make coffee at home. And you sell that. Do you sell that within 10 kilometers? No, suddenly you can actually start setting that up as another revenue stream and sell it worldwide because where do people drink coffee? All around the world. And so the one exercise which is what do I do how can I extract the framework which by the way April this is what she does you then can take that and transform your marketing generate more leads than you could ever need and create high-end high-ticket opportunities for your local people and expand your reach beyond local like that's that is I cannot think of another way to do that that's why um, particularly for me I really stumbled across a lot of these ideas through ClickFunnels and Russell Brunson but that's why I think it's blown my mind so much compared to any other business development marketing strategies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was a masterclass right there. I hope your listeners were writing down <laughs> notes of exactly step-by-step how to do that exactly like you just said, because that is absolutely accurate. That is the exact, that's the exact way. And, and um, I uh, am not directly connected with the ClickFunnels community, but yeah, Russell's a great guy. I'm actually very close friends with quite a few of, of his team members and um, people in his inner circle. And it, it's predictable. See yes. that's what we're looking for. It's predictable. You're right. And it when we're doing anything we want to be able to lay in bed at night and know that we have created something that gives people predictable measurable transformational results. And it doesn't have to be a life transformation, it can be you know how to roast coffee, right? Um <laughs> we uh We uh, worked with it sometimes. And when you were sitting here talking, I know we're on this audio, but I wanted to clap like I was on a clubhouse room because everything (laughs) you were saying was so right on. I'm going, you know, trying to tap my mic here to clap. It's it's so right on. This is exactly the process. So, you know, really um, just to, just to share another example of that for your listeners that just for the sake of doing that, um, I was in a clubhouse room speaking with, um, a gentleman uh, about a year ago now, and he has a fly fishing shop and he couldn't figure out how to make more money as a fly fisherman. And he's like, mm-hmm. Guy, you know, I've just I've hit the ball. Um, and so, yeah, we engineered his process of tying flies and he launched an online course on how to tie your own flies for, for, for fly fishermen and women and launch that as an online course. So anything that doesn't have to do with selling fly fishing gear, but it has to do with why they want to be part of, you know, his business and it has a further reach. And so that's exactly right. It's taking your process step-by-step of something that you might do every single day. And this is a great example for brick and mortar businesses um, that you might do every single day in, in realizing that, people might not just want to buy your, um, your end result, they want to buy how you got there. So people will always and and um, Myron Golden, I don't know if you know Myron, but he speaks Mm. about this all the time. Um, People will always pay you more money to teach them how you think then that's what they want. They, yes, they're buying what you're doing, but what they're really buying is they want to know how your brain worked, how you thought about that, how you did that. And when we engineer businesses, through this process, then first of all, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, we couldn't be happier because we're thinking in our head all the time. And it just brings us such joy to be like, yes, I'm going to, you actually want to know how I think. Sure. Let's unpack my brain. It makes us happy because creating transformations is what we do for, for businesses and customers, but it makes them happy as well because they're leveling up their entrepreneur or their coffee roasting IQ or whatever it may be. And they're walking away with, understanding how you think as well. So, I mean, it does, it all starts with the order of operations is first that signature method or process, and Mm -hmm. then it's the signature offer, whether it's a course or a mastermind or a retreat or whatever it may be. But then what really to me is the most important thing, which this conversation started out with. So just wrapping it all together for, for your listeners, is it before we build anything, before we choose any business model, we first need to look at how we want our time to be spent. What do we want our perfect week to look like? How do we want to work with clients? Do we want to be location-free? Are we, you know, what are we looking for? And then we take the method. So it's like two roads merged together. On the left-hand side, we do the method engineering coming towards the middle, but on the right-hand side, and yes, I'm sitting here with my arms in the air and I just <laughs> sorry, you guys can't see me. On the right-hand side, we take the ideal engineered business model and then we meet them together. So we're engineering a way of delivering the offer, the product, the course, whatever it may be in a way that, is going to in fact give you the leader, your your entrepreneur listeners, or whatever the lifestyle they want, but then also mm. that's going to bring in the transformation, um, and that that's how we engineer transformational businesses. It's we actually call it the Wave Makers Method, and it's really a it's a, it's a very holistic view of turning your thoughts into reality in a way that it just works so good for everybody. If if your listeners can walk away with anything today, I would love for them just to know that. Starting with that signature method and framework is where we want to start with everything, but yes. always at the same time asking themselves what they want their, their flow of their week to look like, what they want their life to look like. Because oftentimes most businesses, and I know we're a little long on time, but I just, I feel like this is important to say, because I don't think people are told this enough, most businesses will hear, well, you know, you, you have to do this, or you have to launch a mastermind, or you have to do retreats, (laughs) or you have to do a course or whatever. There is no perfect business model for everybody. And so just giving yourself the freedom to be able to look at your intellectual property, and then reverse engineering that into Mm. the offer. And, and frankly, all the business models that we've been working through for the last couple years are really hybrid offers of, Mm. you know, some on demand, some you know, let's, let's take the coffee roaster course. So people could go through that and take everything on demand. But then what if we threw in there a a zoom coffee chat with the owner of the store once a month, everybody Mm. just wants to hang out with them and have coffee. (laughs) <laughs> you know, in zoom around the world, yeah. Yeah. you know, so just so many, so much gold in, in your podcast today. So hopefully, hopefully people are like, yes, okay, I'm ready to go do this. And for your organizations and your educational institutions, you're so right on about that, about the, the framework of differentiation. And I think that's very, as a mom, that's what I look for in my kids' schools for sure. That first Yeah, thing. that's so. right.
0: Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, well, to to stay on time, <laughs> because this has been way too much fun. What I would love to do is invite you back for another um, conversation, because I got so excited chatting about what you do, really, which is um, this this idea of creating your signature frameworks, and and uh, I, I really believe people will be listening to this, and um, you know, typing away to find April and and get in touch with you. Um, but maybe next time we can find out a bit more about some of your stories uh, from, you know, the, the more recent part of your journey, which I, I didn't get a chance to ask about. I'd love to hear that. And also Leadership Express. I'll leave everyone hanging with the Leadership Express, but maybe next time, April, we can have you back and ask you about some of those questions. Um, and, uh, and this can be a teaser for that.
1: I would love to come back. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. Yeah, certainly don't have a shortage of things we could talk about for no, sure. I, so I, would, I, I would love to dive, <laughs> would love to dive into all that. Thank you. Well,
0: where can people find you? Those who are Googling right now, where can we um, help them out so they can get straight onto you if they want to find you, get in touch.
1: Yes. So if you guys want to get in touch with me directly, you can just go to our company website, which is sweetlifeco.com. It's the Sweet Life company, but it's sweetlifeco.com. But really, I find the best place, you guys are all podcast listeners, um, is to tune into my podcast. My podcast is called Sweet Life Entrepreneur. And um, we've been producing the show for about five years, and they are just business trainings that you guys can take to the bank. Um, and that would be a great Great place for people to start. they could actually go into my podcast as well and Google some of the some of the how tos of some of the things we talked about. But we want you guys coming back here with with John Owen and, and he and I are going to continue this conversation here as well. So thank you for yeah. asking that. Appreciate
0: it. <laughs> That's right. Everyone, jump on uh, April's website, jump over to our podcast, and check that out. That'd be great. And now I love that April because you. I always uh, always say there are people you know, there'll be people listening who, that's what I love about podcasts. I believe there'll be people listening that have just come out of a week or a month or a year of going, oh my goodness, I just cannot find the next step. And today will have been the episode where they go, this is it. This is what I need to do. So if that's, and if they, if they want to jump over to your podcast and start listening to that too, I think everyone wins uh, because you have amazing content Um, for our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been just such a great episode. and, And I know it would have helped a lot of people, entrepreneurs, school leaders, corporate leaders alike. Um, Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast, which is more, you know, seven tips on casting vision and how do you build a high-performance team, those sort of things, and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, where I ask you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe and challenge you as a leader. Uh, But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to April for, first of all, for being so much fun to hang out with and to listen to for our listeners, but also for being incredibly wise and uh, I believe talking about the number one most important thing in marketing, not just entrepreneurship, but in marketing and business development for leaders um, and entrepreneurs alike. I think you, you hit the nail on the head and um, I think you're doing incredibly important and significant work. And today was just so good. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time, April.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me.
0: answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time uh, a book that's been significant for them it's just a gold mine it's completely free to access so go to consultclarity.org and look for that we'd also love to interview you about your leadership Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders